and welcome to Something Interesting. I'm Albert Berg, and today's Interesting Something comes to us from the ancient Greeks, specifically a writer named Hesiod, and a work of his called Works and Days. We're going to be looking at the beginning of Works and Days, where Hesiod has a very interesting idea that he develops, and it really struck me as something that I thought was pretty relevant to our modern times. Uh, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. The ancient Greeks were always coming up with these ideas that uh, ultimately would impact everything that we know and understand today. We really probably don't appreciate fully how much we're living in their shadow and in the world that they created. But uh, this is an idea that in more ways than normal, I think, was very timely for today. And so I'm going to read directly here from this translation of Works and Days that I have. Uh, this is selected. It's not going to be everything from the opening, but uh, it's the lines that I thought best conveyed this idea and will give us a little bit of a launching off point to discuss where Hesiod is coming from and, and maybe delve deeper into some other things that he wasn't saying directly, but I think really tie into this idea. Hesiod says, So after all, there was not one kind of strife alone, but all over the world there are two. As for the one, a man would praise her when he came to understand her, but the other is blameworthy, and they are wholly different in nature. So Hesiod off the bat here is talking about strife and he says there's two different kinds of strife or conflict. And I believe in the original understanding of this work, he would have used the name for the goddess Eris, uh, who was the goddess of conflict. If you know the story of the golden apple and the judgment of Paris, and ultimately the Trojan War, and how sort of all of that ties in mythologically, all of this starts out with Eris not being invited to a wedding. Uh, there's a whole other podcast I used to do called Bad Ideas, uh, and usually we would cover historical bad ideas on that show, but it was interesting enough to take a break from historical stuff and actually cover the mythological bad idea of not allowing conflict into your marriage. Uh, but so here we're going to ta be talking about conflict and he says, there's two different kinds. There's a kind that you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's bad. That's a bad conflict. And that, that's sort of our knee jerk response to conflict. I think everybody looks at conflict and they think, well, I want to avoid it. And Theseod goes into why you would want to avoid that because he talks about the bad conflict. He says, one fosters evil, war, and battle, being cruel. Uh, her no man loves. So he kind of gets out of the way the obvious bad one. Yes, okay. There's a fighting that is not a good fight. Nobody really thinks that war in general is good. Maybe it serves some good purposes sometimes, but war as a process is probably not something most people would desire. There are fights that you can get into, arguments that are just conflict for the sake of conflict. And those things, Theseod says, yeah, those are, those are going to be bad. 
Did I say Theseod? I think it's Hesiod. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. And I'm not going to edit it, guys, because I'm tired. It's the end of the day. I'm sick with the COVID. My bona fides are intact. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the, the good conflict comes after this. And this is the really interesting concept that made me want to talk about this idea. The idea of a positive aspect to conflict he says, the other is the elder daughter of Dark Knight and the son of Kronos, who sits above and dwells in the ether, set her in the roots of the earth. And she is far kinder to men. She stirs up even the shiftless to toil. For a man grows eager to work when he considers his neighbor, a rich man who hastens to plow and plant and put his house in good order. And neighbor vies with his neighbor as he hurries after wealth. This strife is wholesome for men. So Hesiod here says, listen, we know that there is the bad strife where you're just arguing for no reason, or even if there is a good reason, it doesn't really get you anywhere. You're just having these conflicts with each other and it really tears down your relationship with your neighbor. But here's another, a good conflict. The conflict that takes the form of competition, right? You're, you're a lazy man. Let's say you're sitting in your chair, looking at your fields, thinking, well, sure, they're not growing as well as they could be, but you know what, it didn't rain that much this year, and this land isn't all that great, and, I mean, really, I've done all I can do, and I don't really feel like doing that much. But then you look over at your neighbor's fields, and your neighbor is growing things in the same dirt, and he has the same weather, but he's having better results than you are, because he's over there working harder. And he's getting more out of the ground and he's feeding his family better and there's some left over and he's got it to take to the market to sell and buy some cool stuff. And you, the lazy guy, looks over at your neighbor and you say, oh, he's doing better than me. Darn it. I got it. I got to get out there and at least try to do as well as he can. I, I can't. I can't let this guy run away with it. I need to make something of myself, too. And this strife is the good kind of strife, according to Hesiod. Now, you might argue, and I would accept this argument, that, hey, what you're describing is envy, right? You're looking at what other people have, and you're not being content with what you have. And there is an aspect of that that can be negative, right? I think that ultimately all of this stuff you have to take with as much wisdom as you can muster for yourself, that... It is not good necessarily to look at the things everybody else has and look at yourself and say, well, I don't have everything everybody else has. I'm going to be sad now because it has not made life has not been good to me in the same way that it has been to other people. But Hesiod, I think, is specifically saying, listen, if it stirs you to action positive action, if it causes you to grow because you've seen that other people are doing well and you think maybe I could do well also, at least better than I am doing, that strife 
is a positive strife. And that kind of strife, that, that constructive strife, is really at the heart of most of what we hold dear in our civilization. That's the strife that creates good competition between businesses. In a well-working capitalist system, you have businesses competing with each other, one trying to do as well or better than another one, one trying to take customers and dollars away from another one, and this competition ultimately creating something better. And it also applies to a political system as well that we're running in our, our world here. We have a democracy, and you'll have candidates striving against each other. Now, we will see that those, again, can be taken to an extreme, and many people will find, oh, all of these negative political ads, I find these distasteful. Uh, again, I think that that can be true in some instances, and ultimately I think it requires a certain of, amount of wisdom to sort out exactly where the good strife ends and the bad strife begins. It may not always be a clear line as Hesiod is trying to delineate here, but the idea that one person strives with other people to get your vote is one of the key foundational principles of our system of politics. And as broken as you may think politics is, it's it's better than it could be because of this positive strife. And if you think it's only just the politicians that are enacting this positive strife, it's really the whole of the body politic that works together to create something better because of their striving with each other. It, and this is what I was referring to at the beginning of this when I said I felt like this was a positive, important idea for our current time. Because it's easy to look at divisiveness in the world around you and, and see that people are at each other's throats and see only the negative side of strife. And that is there. I don't want to diminish the idea that some of this can, can be taken too far, but the strife that we have exists in the service of something like opponent processing on a massive national scale. So, so what do I mean by that? Well, I'll come back to the idea of opponent processing, but let, let's explain it in the, the larger context, and, the, and then we'll bring it down to something uh, more personal. You have two different, in, in our American system anyway, two different political parties that represent two different kinds of ideas. And they are constantly pulling against one another in various ways, trying to get the center of the norm to move in the direction that they want it to move. They try to do it with persuasion. They try to do it with politics and passing laws. They try to do it 
in every way that they conceivably can. And this process is not designed for one of these sides to ultimately win. It's important that both sides attempt to win, right? Because that's how the process works in its proper form. But if one of the sides wins ultimately, right? Like they're going to, they're going to be elections. Uh, a left or a right side is going to win in an individual contest. And that will have its consequences for as long as those people are in power. But what we see through the years is that that's never a permanent state of being because when one side is in power, it pulls things in its direction up to the point where people say, you know what, you've pulled too far. We're actually going to let the other side have a chance now. And then they pull for a while until they've gone too far. And the balance is mostly maintained. Now, this is not just something that happens at a political national level. This is actually integral to our experience as humans. This happens to us, within us, on an individual level every day. And it's something called opponent processing. And the basic idea behind opponent processing in psychology is that your brain is always trying to keep you normal. Normal probably isn't the right word to use there, but it's the first one that came to mind. It's trying to keep you steady. There is a baseline that your brain is trying to maintain. Now, you as a human are likely aspiring actively to be happy. You are looking for experiences that will make you feel better, feel good, feel fulfilled, feel positive in some way. But your brain actually is not attempting to do that on a meaningful scale. Your brain is trying to say, no, hold the line, keep it in this one specific spot that somehow chemically has been determined that this is where we want to be. We are always trying to regress to the mean. And what happens is when you have an experience, positive or negative, your brain tries to immediately compensate for that experience. So let's say you have a negative experience. Let's say you anticipate a negative experience. This will be a little bit easier to make this uh, point with. Let's say you you think your dog is going to die. You love your dog. You've had your dog for five or six years, maybe. You've really attached to this animal. Uh, you've done everything together. You know, this dog's been there for you through breakups and, you know, moves. This This is a constant in your life. And now it seems like the dog is sick things have been not going well for it, You're, you've been worried about it, everything is has been going bad for the last couple of weeks, let's say, hypothetically, in the situation with your dog. Well, in the hypothetical situation, you take your dog to the vet, and the vet says, oh, hey, it's actually an easy fix, your dog just needs dog aspirin, or whatever. 
and they should be fine for the foreseeable future. I mean, you know, no, nothing lasts forever, but this dog is probably going to be with you for several more years to come yet. Your response to that, to your dog being okay, not to your dog learning how to fly, okay? Not to your dog suddenly being able to recite poetry. Just to your dog being the dog that you expected them to be previously and that you were worried they were not going to be. Just by that return to the normal, the pressure on the negative side of the emotion is released and there is a swing in your brain as your brain has been trying to compensate back up, right? It's been pulling this whole time to get you back to the normal, but your dog has been sick this whole time and you've been worried so it's been that's been pulling you down now all of a sudden that force in your brain that's been pulling you up well it pulls way up you feel great you walk out of that vet with a perfectly normal dog and nothing else but you feel like the world is suddenly brighter the birds are singing everything is going your way because the brain in its attempt to get you back to normal has actually overcompensated. Now it'll, it'll adjust back down. Don't worry. The rubber band will eventually get you back to normal, but it was never attempting to stop you. It was never attempting to get you happy. It was just trying to stop you from being sad. And yet the, the pull got you back in the other direction for a little bit until eventually it was able to level out and it'll work in the opposite direction as well. If you have a intensely happy experience, you know, by having lived for a certain amount of time that that's not going to keep you happy forever. And indeed, if it's too happy, if there's too much positive experience, you can become overwhelmed and, clip back down into ennui, right? You'll have, if if you did nothing but eat the finest foods and hang out with the most beautiful people and, you know, you did drugs that were supposed to, to make you feel good, all of that stuff, if you did it for one day, if you had a single day where you had nothing but amazing feeling things happening to you, well, that would be pretty effective in making you happy. If you had a month of it, it would be much less effective. By the 30th day, if it's continuing to go on, it, it at the very least, it just becomes background noise and you're looking for something else, something that's going to pull you out of the norm. And it's interesting because what we see a lot of times is that when someone gets a experience that they find very positive the the swing back to the negative can be so strong that ultimately they keep chasing not the positive experience itself but just chasing away the swing back of the negative and this is something that happens a lot to drug users the opponent processing model uh imp- explains pretty substantially how somebody for instance who has taken a hit of heroin will continue to do heroin not because they think that they're going to get back to that original high although they may not be considering that completely but that if they don't continue to do heroin the brain's elastic process of trying to pull you back to the normal 
will rubber band so far in the other direction that life will be essentially unbearable? And we we actually exploit this in some really interesting ways. Obviously, some people do heroin, and that's not super great. But sometimes we seek out experiences that, on their face, should be negative, right? Like, riding a roller coaster is an experience in fear on its face. What you are doing is subjecting yourself to something that you should not be doing. You you don't want to be that high in the air. You don't want to be dropping that fast. There is all kinds of wrong stuff sort of in the primal centers of your brain that says, no, I don't, this is not what I want. But when you go on a roller coaster, after you're done, because your brain has been pulling back away from the negative, all of a sudden you feel amazing. And you actually get the opposite effect on some of these negative experiences that you do on the heroin, where the positive side of it will, will be amplified enough where you'll almost forget about the negative. The negative will just become part of the normal, but that pull that you experience towards the positive has now become part of the experience. And so you'll have things like, like I mentioned, roller coasters, People go to scary movies, arguably, for this same effect, to get their brain doing something negative that will be counteracted by their mental rubber band. I, I'm using this metaphor, and I hope it's not confusing, to pull them back to the positive, and the pull to the positive actually ends up taking over. It's a very interesting hack it's something I don't think people realize they're doing, right? We kind of think, well, I'm just trying to feel good. I'm trying to do the thing that that makes me happy. But there are a lot of different ways that things can make us <clears throat> that things can make us happy. And I think that this idea of the strife within us, right? This idea that our brain is constantly in this struggle. If, if we're feeling good, it's trying to pull us down. If we're feeling bad, it's trying to pull us up. And this constant leveling is, is something that is part of us, part of our everyday life. And it's better, I think, to, to have that struggle than if we were to just live a monotone life. We don't, we don't want to achieve the center. No one wants to live constantly just feeling okay. I, I, I would postulate that. Now, if you have spent years in depression or something, I, I understand by contrast, you know, that that's an edge case. Yes. You would just be happy to feel okay. But I, I think the, the variety of this, of this struggle back and forth within the brain of, no, you don't need to feel that happy. Come back down to the normal. No, it's not that bad. You're going to feel okay in the morning. Come back to the, the normal side. The balancing act there is really what gives life a lot of its flavor. And thinking about it now scaled up to the national side again, you can see how... Ultimately, we're all playing out these kinds of dramas on a large scale and on an individual scale. It's fascinating to me how the the conflict within 
is ultimately reflected in the conflict without. There is a sense in which a nation or a town or a group of people, a tribe, if you will, is representative of the individual. There, There is a sense that a nation can have its own psychology in the way that all of the individuals enacting the performance of that nation, if you will, uh, it, it reflects the the single person's inner struggle. That there are still there are within us forces that fight in one direction and another direction for positive and negative, for good and for evil, and the mirrors of the individual are seen in the national and even in the global. And I thought that that was an interesting idea that I hadn't ever really heard articulated before I heard about Hesiod and Works and Days. Uh, I was watching a little documentary with my wife and they made reference to it. And I thought that's just incredible to, to hear someone talk about this good side of strife it's something that maybe seems a little bit obvious once you know about it, but to me it really opened up some new and interesting ways of thinking. And since that's what this podcast is about, I thought I'd share them with you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this. I hope that you found it interesting. Uh, I will see you guys next time, if there is a next time. Take care. <laughs>